1: So I'm on a mad hunt, you know, mad Easter egg hunt for for the giant Steve Austin egg in the middle of, you know, the most remote places in Texas you could find.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. We are still on the road to WrestleMania and it is in fact 316 weeks celebrating all things Stone Cold Steve Austin. We've got a special edition of In or Out coming your way, plus a conversation with the one and only Eric Bischoff you are not going to want to miss under any circumstances I don't think I'm overstating it. It is truly huge here to help me navigate these choppy waters. Vic Joseph of NXT. How are you this morning, Vic? I'm doing great. I don't think you can undersell it,
3: Graves. I mean, this is breaking news, huge news, groundbreaking news. I can't wait for us to talk to Eric Bischoff when this is all said and done. What will make headlines tomorrow in the wrestling world happens today on After the Bell.
2: That, of course, providing that my building doesn't actually burn Wah! down. Wah! I, yeah, in Wah! the middle of the interview with Eric Bischoff, which you will surely hear, uh, my my apartment building, a uh, fire alarm oh, decided to go man. off. Alas, there is no emergency at the moment. We are good to go. A lot to get through. So uh, let's not waste any time, shall we there, Vic? No, hey, real quick, happy 316 week. Cheers to you and my Steve Austin Broken Skull IPA. Listen, you thought you Cheers. were all fancy. You thought you were going to show up with your broken skull ipa like i wasn't gonna i got a couple them, okay? oh well you can't do stone cold properly unless you you've got the uh, the stone cold broken skull ipa it is delicious it is fantastic i'm not just saying this because it kick my ass and here it is here it is the aforementioned fire alarm this is gonna be a fun one this is gonna be an interesting one vic i think we just
3: roll right through it because we're professionals so here i cheers you again because you're dealing with a fire alarm if you go down in a blaze of glory it was nice knowing you hey you know what it, it, I had a hell of a run. But speaking of which, how about this shirt you got me? I know you can't see it on the podcast. If you tune into
2: maybe a social clip or the WWE Network, Kelly Kapowski. I, it is Kelly Kapowski. <laughs> I, there's a, a nice little tie in there with Peacock. Uh, but I Thank like you. that. Now you have just taken your part of the podcast. As we can hear, I am still on, in in flames. I'm actually on fire right now. You've taken your part. No, of the po- you're not on fire. You've basically just. You just take social clips from it now. I like that you dress a certain way and you plan and you plot to get clout on social media.
3: No, it's a well thought out plan, Graves, of mine. So look, last week, NXT, huge announcement. Two nights of NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver. It's so funny to me. Wednesday, April 7th on the U.S. This is serious business. Quit laughing. Wednesday, April 7th, USA Network, TakeOver Night 1, NXT TakeOver Night 2, April the 8th, first time ever on Peacock. Look, we're on the same thing as Office, Saved by the Bell, all your favorite shows. This was a great gift you got me that tied in very nicely with Peacock and the WWE Network. Today, by the way, when this podcast drops this third on Thursday, I thought this was a great little, you don't like it?
2: Well, if any of our announced team were to join a band called Zack Attack, it would definitely be you.
3: Absolutely. Do you remember the first time I wore this when I walked around as
2: if I was Ace Ventura? How could I ever forget? Ah, Those were the days. Speaking of days, are you as screwed up as I am by this daylight savings thing? I haven't slept properly in like three days. I I realize that it is late at night, sometime around nine because the sun stays up. And I wake up way too late. Like I was scrambling around this morning because the sun just didn't come up. Uh, when I normally am awake, totally screw me up. Hopefully, we can hold it together. Hopefully, we can steer the ship. We can get through. So let everybody hear about all things Stone Cold and uh, Eric Bischoff with our colossal announcement.
3: Yeah, big announcement coming up. I'm also glad that you're no longer on
2: fire ever. Haven't heard that alarm in a few minutes. Well, it's just a few minutes. I mean, I could reignite at any given moment. So just in case, just in all case right. I do go up in smoke by the end of this here podcast, let's talk about all things Stone Cold Steve Austin, all right? It's Austin... It's it's three sixteen. It's the week of March sixteenth, which strangely enough is uh, a year ago since all of this madness in the world began, uh, and we are we are on the road to WrestleMania, celebrating properly. You've got your Broken Skull IPA. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the name Stone Cold Steve Austin? Hell raising. Is the first thing that comes to mind,
3: I think of broken glass, I think of middle fingers, and I think of getting grounded a lot when I was in middle school for flicking off my mom from behind her back, thinking I was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, so you got caught flipping off your mom behind her back. Like, then she turned around and she's like, what were you doing? I'd be like, nothing, nothing, I should go to your room. And then she had like different, like my brother would tattle on me too as well. So that was it. And I got a detention one time for flipping the bird to the teacher.
2: There you go. Well, nice to see that Vic was one of the generation corrupted by Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) I wasn't corrupted. That was awesome. Remember, There's so much we could talk to. Obviously, this is a superstar who who means so much to this business, to WWE, uh, that we've just given him an entire week, not just a day. Technically, 316 is Steve Austin day, but we just said, screw it. Let's roll it into a week. Let's roll over St. Patrick's Day. Because let's be honest, would you rather have a beer with St. Patrick or Stone Cold Steve Austin? Definitely Stone Cold Steve Austin.
3: Absolutely. Now, I would kind of now want to make that a thing at this year's WrestleMania in Tampa. I don't know if he's going to be there. I don't know if, if we're going to be there. I don't know what's going to be open, what's going to be closed.
2: I'd love to have a beer with Steve Austin. Have you had a beer with Steve Austin? I, I have uh, on several oh. occasions and I don't know Steve all that well, but I'd be willing to bet he doesn't like you. So he probably won't have a beer with you. Anyway, let's talk about some of the greatest moments, in our opinions. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Obviously, if you've got WWE Network, if you've got Peacock, you can check out all the, the different specials. There's documentaries. The Broken Skull Sessions with Stone Cold, my favorite interview show on the WWE Network. Um, it, it's absolutely unbelievable. Take some time out of your day and enjoy and celebrate all things Stone Cold. I can actually honestly say to you, I was a fan of stunning Steve Austin in WCW. Even growing up, and he wasn't the flashiest, and we'll talk to Eric Bischoff a little bit later. That story's been told over and over again, right? Bischoff fired Stone Cold, who would then, you know, you know, as history would have it, go on to be one of, if not the biggest star in the history of the business. But I think back to the matches that stunning Steve Austin had alongside Brian Pillman as the Hollywood Blondes. Very, very great tag team in WCW but what specifically sticks out to me was the series of matches that Austin had with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in WCW that to me was my first exposure of great technical wrestling and i was just at that age where i was old enough to appreciate the difference between a hulk hogan or or you know those sort of stars that are energy and persona and character and then over on the other channel there's Ricky Steamboat, there's Steve Austin, and they are just tearing it down every time they step in the ring. You, you take a look at, when we were talking about this, our
3: favorite you know, moments and, and things you look back and, and you start to think of, and I actually reached out to my brother because my brother is a huge WCW fan. And he said, don't you remember when he teamed up with who you mentioned, Brian Pillman as the Hollywood Blondes? I go, I, I honestly have to go back and watch it. Yeah, and, and you start to think about, He pointed out when the Hollywood blondes would make fun of the four horsemen Mm -hmm. and would go on to face Ric Flair and Arn Anderson at clash of champions. I don't recall which number it was. So forgive me. Clash of champions. One and
2: 942.
3: Yeah. I want to say it was like 23, but I could be wrong with that. And it was a two out of three falls match. And he goes, that was the best, the Hollywood blondes ever looked. And it's a totally different side of what I know Steve Austin to be going back to your point about Ricky Steamboat, that there are these lost matches that he put clinics on and to think who he did it with in that moment in, in the nineties, going back and watching on the WWE network was like, wow,
2: look at this. Right. And I, and I hate to say lost because it's not that they're lost. They were featured on WCW at the time, but they don't get nearly the love and adulation from obviously the WWE universe. But I think fans as a whole who, who, Stone Cold Steve Austin is Americana at this point. You don't even have to be a fan of pro wrestling or sports entertainment to know who stone cold is. I mean, he's that iconic, but it, what didn't just happen overnight, the journey getting to WWE initially through PCW. And let's be honest, even the ringmaster when Austin first joined WWE didn't set the world on fire. He was sort of the million dollar man gave him the million dollar title and he would go and have great matches but he wasn't the stone cold that we would know and love. But it is kind of fun to look back and and now knowing what he's accomplished and who he is to see that side of him, I think you can appreciate even more. Yeah, and I, and I
3: 100% agree with you because as a WWE fan, when talking to my brother, he goes, you probably remember Steve Austin as the ringmaster when he was facing Savio Vega in Caribbean strap matches. You got to go back three, four years before that dude and go look at early WCW and he's talking like tag team to United States, TV, tag, like all these great matches with people you wouldn't have even remembered he had matches with.
2: It's funny that you mentioned that particular rivalry and Savio Vega in particular because as a child or a young young person, I was, I mean, maybe early teens, 12, 11, 12 area. Uh, I couldn't stand Savio Vega. I don't know why I I just when he came on my screen, I just didn't like him. And I know he was he was a good guy and he had fire. And and looking back, I can appreciate him differently. But as a child, he just I just didn't like him. So when he was in this seemingly years long rivalry with the ringmaster, all I remember is strap matches, the Caribbean strap matches. Yeah. But I would watch that. And I remember rooting for the ringmaster, not because I was like, oh, I'm so cool. I know this guy's going to be a megastar. I was just like. I'm rooting for that guy because I don't like the other guy. And my little brother would be like, why, why don't you like Savio Vega? Like, I don't know. I can't justify it. I don't need to define it. I just don't like him.
3: Alex, um, I appreciate it. Clash of Champions 23. So I did have the number. Wow, correct, that, was, that was pretty impressive. Back to Savio Vega, though. Didn't Steve Austin's first WrestleMania match take place against Savio Vega? You're probably right. I'm trying to remember because I remember that whole because when I'm going back thinking after our conversation about, hey, dude, 316 week favorite Austin moments, I'm stuck in this bubble of WWE at the time. And it took my brother to say, dude, go back to these. And you talking about Ricky Steamboat, I think WrestleMania 12 against Savio Vega was Steve Austin's first. WrestleMania match. And now to hear you say that you don't like Sabio Vega or didn't like him at the time makes me laugh even more thinking really about the career that Steve Austin had because so many people just remember, oh, Attitude Era and he stunned Vince McMahon or Mr. McMahon and won the Royal Rumble and thing. And then you were really, like, well, wait a minute, actually, let's, let's actually take it back like five years now and think right. about all the great things he did. And then that period of time as the ringmaster that you brought up.
2: Yeah, and a lot of guys will tell you, a lot of guys who have been in the ring with him, Triple H comes to mind because I recall having that conversation with him. They, they say, oh, well, Steve wasn't an in-ring guy. Austin wasn't a a technician. I would disagree with that. I think it, late stage Stone Cold, which is what everybody became to know and love, he was a brawler. He didn't do anything fancy. Punches, mm-hmm. kicks, and a stunner, and the and elbow. That was it. That was all Austin needed. But when you watch those matches with Ricky Steamboat and a lot of the stuff he did in WCW with with you know uh, Bobby Eaton and all, Arn Anderson, all these, these greats, the technique was off the chain. He was doing stuff that people nowadays probably look at as normal and usual. But Steve was ahead of his time from an in-ring perspective at that point in his career. So as you've gotten older and we're relatively the same age and now
3: being able to look back at the WWE Network, which, by the way, is on Peacock as of today, which is Thursday, Do you have a greater now appreciation for Steve Austin as a whole? Because he did go from that technical ability, steamboat, arm, flair, being able to stand toe to toe with some of the greats and then transition into this. Brawler that only has to do a punch, a
2: kick, a stunner, and an elbow. I wouldn't say I have a greater appreciation just because I've lived this since I was a kid. This is Mm -hmm. all I've cared about. So I've watched and seen it all. Most people are only familiar with the Stone Cold run, which basically defines Stone Cold Steve Austin's career. It's just funny to me that despite all of the memories and all of the clips that still play in the opening of our shows and Austin in the beer truck and and riding the four-wheeler and all of the incredible moments, him and Mike Tyson in the ring, it's funny that he could do something of such a high level, like the rivalry with Ricky steamboat in all his WCW accolades. And that be overlooked because that a lot of guys could hang their hat on. Oh, wow. I, I had a great rivalry with Ricky steamboat and WCW. That's nothing to sneeze at. Sure. But somehow Austin has reached such heights that something as incredible as that series of matches just doesn't get the love. I think it deserves. And I think a lot of people would agree. Well, I I actually 100% agree with you. Going back
3: to me having to look into these matches from WCW because when I think of Steve Austin, back to your original question, I think of the Attitude Era, everything we've talked about. But then I think about the comedy stuff and the stuff that the, the the segments with mm-hmm. Kurt Angle, with Booker T, what he did with The Rock when The Rock threw the championship off the bridge.
0: I start Eric thinking Bischoff. of
3: Eric Bischoff, who of course we have coming up that we'll talk to. I think of those segments along with the Attitude Era matches, that it's almost the matches we're talking about now, I don't want to say lost, but are like third tier in a guy's historic career, which now is funny to me. Like, how the hell do we overlook this?
2: Right, right. His body of work speaks for itself, but it it goes a lot further and a lot deeper than what we all know and the moments we constantly replay over and over again. It's worth, it's why it's so lovely to have something like the WWE Network. You can log in, you you can look up, Anything not only Stone Cold has done, but Stunning Steve prior to that, and it still all lives on. And if you're listening to this, trust me, it's worth going out of your way to check out some deep-cut Stone Cold or some deep-cut Stunning Steve uh, should you have the time to enjoy it. I want to ask you, Vic, off the top of your head, do you have a favorite Stone Cold Steve Austin match?
3: Off the top of my head... The stuff that he did, probably him and Shawn Michaels when the Attitude Era began or the Stone Cold Era began, because of of the where I was as a wrestling fan was a huge Shawn Michaels fan with Degeneration X and everything like that, and I was upset that Shawn Michaels lost the championship for the main event of WrestleMania. And there's my brother again, flicking me off because he's a huge stone cold fan. So there was that, um, animosity between us. And as you get later on, the other one that sticks out to me is probably Steve Austin versus dude love when dude love was, you know, with Mr. McMahon and and the corporation for whatever reason, um, It's hard to pick out one. The stuff he did with The Undertaker was a great highway to hell. SummerSlam 98 also sticks out. Madison Square Garden uh, with ACDC always rocking in the background. There's just so many great Austin moments. It's hard to pick one match, but those
2: would be the three that initially stand out to me. I would not disagree with any of those. Those are all awesome memories. I enjoyed all of them very much. For me personally, I catch a lot of crap from this anytime I have this discussion from, from coworkers, from colleagues, friends, Austin versus rock at WrestleMania 17 is widely regarded as maybe the best match both guys ever had. And I'm not going to argue with that. The the significance of what they did and and Austin with the, with the chair and, and all the chaos, it's unbelievable. I'm not discrediting that at all. For me personally, I always have enjoyed WrestleMania 19 the most their match at Safeco Field, uh, which was would be Aust- basically Austin's last true match, definitely his last WrestleMania match. Um, they've covered, you know, the rock whispering to Austin at the end that that's gotten a lot of play. But that seems to be the bit that lives on is that last moment of them whispering to one another. I thought that match was so much fun and it was a WrestleMania match and they weren't in the main event. So the fact that Stone Cold versus The Rock was on the I don't want to say undercard, but not the main event, not the last match of WrestleMania. Plays a little weird to anybody because you look at these two icons and they go on, you know, second to last or third from last. I don't exactly remember, but your rock at one point puts on Austin's vest and just beats the hell out of Steve all over the arena. It to me was just fun. It was chaotic. It wasn't the same feeling. I think I think WrestleMania 17 emotionally probably hit people a lot harder because of what it meant in the context of the storyline of what was happening in WWE at the time. As a fan, as a standalone match, give me 19 all day, every day. I would put that probably in my top 10 favorite matches ever. I just genuinely enjoy it. And I I don't have a, it's not this, oh, I know so much about the business that this is why I enjoy it. No nuance. It was just fun to me. And the, the few times I've gone back and watched it, it holds up to me just as well as when I watched it live. WrestleMania 17 sticks out to me
3: more than 19 based on the vignette video package leading up to the match. with oh, Limp playing. One of the greatest I, ever. Oh. I was like, well, I still go oh. back and I will watch that over and over again. Yeah. And I mean like repeat with like my, my college buddies, my buddy Keith will be like, Hey, you want to watch the vignette? Well, we got to watch one play it and we'll send that, you know, out to each other. But 19 stands out to me. And I don't remember where I heard this, but it's the Easter egg that's in the match. And it's on Steve Austin's vest. That's what I always remember about nineteen. O M R, one more round,
2: because oh. he knew that was going to be his last. His last go round, quote, un, unquote. Did, so you ever read, did you read Eagle. Steve's book and, and the story yeah. about the, the weekend leading up to that and, and, and in and, and, and out of the and, hospital yeah. and panic attack? I mean, it's a crazy story, which makes me appreciate it even more now. I didn't know that that was the, the OMR, though, the one more round.
3: OMR, one more round, and it might be the edge thing. Maybe I just am, am, am imagining in it that like he was with the Paul Stanley character, but I'm pretty sure OMR stands for one more round and maybe because I'm drinking these Steve Austin broken IPAs right now. That's just another cheap plug because I hope he sends me some more free beer. Um, but yeah, it was
2: it was awesome. Well, I think uh, you and I could debate this all day, every day for many days. So I think we should throw this one to the ATB faithful. Maybe we make this the question of the week. I'm well, going to do have it two now. Questions of the week. Well, I'm I'm okay. So we can have two. It's yours. Special... I
3: have one from me to you. Okay. Well, that's coming up later works. on. That's, that's not how
2: any of this works. It's a tease. I... I put the question out there to the ATB faithful and they yeah. give me the answers. That's how yeah, this works. Yeah, but then, then do I have it one for you show, later. But for the sake of variety, I'm going to change it up. I want to know uh, WrestleMania 17 or WrestleMania 19. Use the hashtag 17. after the bell and let us know what you think. We got a lot to get to Vic. We're on the Huge. road to WrestleMania. It is Steve Austin week. And when we come back, the dreaded in or out ATB, we'll be right back.
0: Time travel to fun in the 16th century at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Ten stages, food, pubs, shopping, jousting. Saturday, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th.
2: Welcome back to ATB. It's me, Graves. It's him, Vic Joseph. And we are about to engage in a game of the dreaded in or out. How do you call it dreaded? You love in and out. I do love in and out very much. It's actually probably my favorite thing we do on the show. I just wanted to give it a nice enhancement. I wanted to make it sound like dun-dun-dun, in or out. So you do that again? Dun-dun-dun.
3: That tickles me when you say it like that. Oh, look at you with the callback. callback.
2: Very, very well done. Our ah. producer, Alex Metz, is on the line here with us. He has uh, compiled a list of topics, hasn't shown any of the topics to Vic or myself, he's going to drop them on us, and we are going to react. And quite simply, are we in or are we out on any given subject? Alex, how are you? I'm great. This
0: is, of course, in or out, not in and out, which, of course. Oh, in or out.
3: Here, cheers to you, Alex.
2: Happy 316 week.
0: Happy that's 316 a- week, gentlemen. Uh, it's as a Freudian you said-
2: slip. I was thinking about delicious cheeseburgers in Los Angeles,
0: okay? <laughs> totally fine. Uh, happy 316 week. Uh, as you mentioned, Graves. No one, neither you nor Vic, have seen these topics in advance, uh, and these are all having to do with the road to WrestleMania as we get closer to Raymond James Stadium. So, let's start. Bobby Lashley defeated Sheamus in a fantastic main event on Raw this past Monday, but we also found out on Raw that it is official. Bobby Lashley will defend his WWE championship against Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania. So are you in or are you out with this huge championship match at WrestleMania?
2: I am so in, I am extremely in McIntyre Lashley. Now, now granted, we've seen this match in the past. It was last year, the beginning of the performance center, one of the first events there. I forget, forgive me. Um, and that and was, it was awesome then, but both Drew and Lashley have evolved and grown into different higher caliber competitors. I think you want a a marquee match for WrestleMania two nights this year. This has got to be one of them, uh, two legitimate bonafide heavyweights battling for the WWE championship. I love everything that drew has done for the last year under the circumstances that no champion would ever want to be tasked with. I think drew did an amazing job. I think Bobby right now is doing the best work of his career. I think it's going to be absolutely awesome, but Vic, I'm going to do you one better. Here we go. This is 316 week, right? This is Steve Austin week. I'm making the declaration right now. If Bobby Lashley does not walk out of WrestleMania as WWE champion, I'll let you host the show however you want for a week. Alex, did you hear that? Because that might perk
3: his ears. So Alex, are you in or out on Vic Joseph hosting the show for a week? If Bobby Lashley were to walk out with the championship.
0: I'm so far out, I'm at in (laughs) and
3: out. Oh, great. Well, I have nothing to add to Graves because I just like Graves him in on Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre. Of course, we had Bobby on the show just a few weeks ago. He is a bona fide superstar. You do not turn the TV off. And the way Drew has shown his in-ring ability as of late um, on on Raw against Sheamus to go one-on-one with Bobby Lashley for the title, two guys that are driven, two guys that are passionate on that stage, WrestleMania, I am so far in.
2: And I'm going to give you another another perspective on this. Right. We talk about how amazing Drew has been as WWE champion, his run with Randy Orton all through the last year. And again, no one would. Those are less than ideal circumstances for any champion. But Drew got to where he's at by outworking everybody. But quietly, simultaneously, here comes Bobby Lashley. And all of a sudden while Drew's carrying the torch, Bobby just keeps putting in the work and Bobby's just about to boil over. Well, guess what? The volcano just blew. Bobby Lashley is all things Monday Night Raw. I feel like it's going to force Drew to step up his game, not only leading into WrestleMania, but going going forward. I think Drew got there, and I don't I would never in a million years say Drew is complacent or Drew is not working as hard as he possibly can. I'm saying that the best in this business When somebody else really, really good comes along, figure out a way to put themselves back on top of things. I'm excited to see WrestleMania and beyond for both of these guys.
0: Great stuff, guys. So let's move along here. Also on Raw this past Monday, The New Day captured their 11th Tag Team Championship after defeating Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander of The Hurt Business. We also learned that they will defend those titles at WrestleMania against AJ Styles and the debuting Almost. So... Are you in or out with AJ Styles and Omos as potential tag team champions?
3: I am out on on this tag team title match for the new day i take nothing away from aj styles aj styles is one of the best performers of uh, this generation i would like to see aj styles in a marquee one-on-one matchup um i take nothing away from his tag team partner who is an nxt working at the performance center so i've seen the work that he has put in i also think new day could have a more marquee matchup for the Raw tag team titles. So uh, simply put, Graves, I am out on this Raw tag
2: team title match. I can see why at first glance people would not be into this. I would say that I'm in, but it's in a weird sort of morbid curiosity kind of way. Okay. I am very in on Omas making his in-ring debut at WrestleMania. Not just because he is a legitimate giant Uh, I think it positions him and he's been around long enough. He's been under the tutelage of AJ Styles. He's working in the performance center. Amos is going to be a big deal. I think we've only seen glimpses of his, of his athleticism, but from what I've heard from people that know, you know, people that are in the know the dude's got all the tools he's been learning. And and a lot of people will tell you this. Uh, John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace, people power is one of the ones who, who I learned this from. When he first broke in the business, his job was to stand ringside with the sheep herders, who we would go on to know as the Bushwhackers, Mm -hmm. Luke and Butch. But Johnny was a new guy in the business, barely knew, you know, anything. But he would go night after night after night and watch and learn from those guys. And he would drive them and he would he would basically do all the grunt work, all the stuff you don't want to do. But in the process, he was learning the business. He was learning what to do in the ring, how to react to a crowd. If you look at Omos from that perspective, there's nobody better to learn from than AJ Styles. For me, in-ring, bell-to-bell, AJ Styles is the best in the world. So to have Omos, to have that opportunity to learn from AJ and then unveil it, so to speak, on WrestleMania, it is a sink or swim for Omos, but I think he's going to be prepared. Also... I'm sure there are a lot of people I haven't looked at Twitter today, but I'm sure there are a lot of people saying, Oh, well, last year it was Kofi Mania, or, you know, two years ago, Kofi mania, last year's WrestleMania was kind of up in the air. And now this, this match, it's not, it's not a sexy headline match, so to speak, but in order for the business to grow and evolve, some of the guys that you look at as the top guys are going to be in these positions because it perpetuates the business. You've got AJ Styles. AJ Styles has had big marquee matches at WrestleMania. He, You know, him and Nakamura, he had the match with Shane McMahon. AJ's had his moments on the grand stage. That's not to say he won't have a few more be- before he, he wraps it all up. But on this stage, I think AJ and Omas are in a position to create a brand new megastar. And I think New Day and, and Woods and Kofi are the guys' perfect opponents in that situation. I was a little long-winded. I'm sorry. I've, I've been you know, trying to spit out as many words as I can before my fire alarm
0: starts going off again. <laughs> well, speaking of the new day, Corey, uh, Intercontinental Champion Big E is set to defend his title against the new and improved Apollo Crews at WWE Fastlane. After Big E's passionate promo on last week's SmackDown, are you in or are you out on Big E and Apollo Cruz at Fastlane? I'm going to word this
2: very carefully. Uh-oh. So you know where I'm going. You know, anyone who has ever listened to this show knows how much, how highly I think of Big E. I think Apollo right now is one of my favorite things happening on Friday Night SmackDown. Individually, I am all in on both. Everything that they're doing is money to me. Everything that they're doing is exciting. I've already seen it too many times. I want to see this Apollo Cruz make his name for himself at the rest of the roster's expense. And then maybe six months from now, he comes back and says, hey, hey, Big E, remember when you wouldn't let me do what I wanted? Now it's time. I would like the slow burn. We're going to get it at Fastlane. I'm sure it won't disappoint. I'm sure it's going to be a hell of a match. But as far as seeing this matchup between these two individuals again this soon, I'm out. That's my first initial thought
3: to Alex is I have seen it enough Um, On SmackDown, that if this is where they wanted to go, maybe you have this version of Apollo take place before a series of matches happens and kind of strikes back at Big E and kind of has that new attitude. So the fact that I've already seen this I would like to see it again, maybe around SummerSlam. I know that's ways away in August, but I would like Apollo to build on what he has been doing by earning some victories, by having some meaningful feuds that can put stock into him, some equity. So the fact that this is happening so soon after a series of matches, I too am out heading into this match at Fastlane.
0: Fair enough. And finally, guys, to wrap up here, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair will try to capture the Women's Tag Team Championship at Fastlane from Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. They got off to a rough start on SmackDown this past Friday, losing to both Natalia and Tamina. So, are you in or out with Sasha and Bianca as potential tag team champions? Can they coexist? I
3: think they can coexist, but I go back to something I just said with Big E and Apollo. And I I kind of am riding the fence on this right now, Graves. Uh, WrestleMania 23, your main event was John Cena, Shawn Michaels. They were tag team champions going into their main event. Uh, I remember that fondly. And I also remember as time went on over the years, the event before WrestleMania, for whatever reason, the main events always meshed in tag team matches right the, yeah TV. sort
2: of the two marquee matches you'd have like a tag match yeah
3: and, and, and I always was just like I, two-man I wanna, power
2: trip I you know I
3: don't want to whole...
0: see
3: yeah I, I don't want to see this like I
2: save it for me
3: um the Nia Shana story is kind of two foes that became partners and one the top so I've seen it enough I, I don't know I, I guess the short of it is I'm out on it I, I would love to see him as tag team champions but not leading into what is a WrestleMania story because I believe the two individuals themselves have a great story just based on Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair to maybe steal some of Graves' thunder, the Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes scenario. I don't need anything else to water this down. Let it breathe on its own. Let it naturally blossom into what I believe will be a phenomenal WrestleMania moment Come April, come Raymond James Stadium. So I am again
2: out. Could not be any further out as pertains to the tag team title match. Sasha and Bianca don't need it. Two megastars. This is one of the matches that's just simple. Just let it be. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's too, again, Sasha Banks, arguably the best female performer in the world right now. Bianca Belair, not there yet. But guess what? You know, what will put her a hell of a lot closer. A win at WrestleMania. I'm here. I'm curious. I'm a fan. I just want to watch that happen. Let it unfold. The more you
0: muddy the waters, the less I want to drink it. All right, guys. And that is in or out for this week leading up to Fast Lane this coming weekend.
2: I'm going to throw a little caveat in here just because I didn't uh, didn't get to it. Let's talk about how badass Sheamus has been. Also, Vic. OK, uh, Alex, I know I know I sent you a text saying, remind me to talk about how awesome Seamus has been lately and we didn't get there organically. So Beep. damn it, I'm going to shoehorn Beep. it in. Is it, look, nothing has gone right up today. the bus on you, Alex. Please. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. I thought I thought that was my fire alarm again. Sorry. I oh, thought no. what we were <laughs> nothing has gone according to plan this morning. Vic's already had uh, too many broken skull IPAs. That is not let's, true. Let's talk for a second about the awesomeness that has been Seamus for the past several weeks. We're leading into SmackDown. We're getting Seamus versus McIntyre. Let's say, full disclosure, this is Tuesday morning. I watched it last night, and I watched it again this morning. Bobby Lashley versus Sheamus in the main event of Monday Night Raw. Two legitimate heavyweights beating the living out of one another. Give me that all day. I love how in a matter of weeks, the WWE championship picture to me has become as strong, if not maybe stronger in the big picture than the universal championship. That's a bold statement. But I'll tell you why. Universal Championship, Roman Reigns is the dude, right? No one's going to argue that. Roman, when they, he says, no, people care about me as a universal, he's right. I'm not arguing or diminishing anything of that. I'm saying the picture as a whole. On SmackDown, Roman Reigns is here. Now we know Edge is, you know, in this neighborhood. However, on Monday nights, now you've got Bobby Lashley, who's a WWE Champion. You've got Drew McIntyre, who is the, is the challenger. But now here comes quietly Sheamus. And I know Sheamus, and and I will say this till I'm blue in the face, doesn't get the respect he deserves. I very rarely find underrated to be an an appropriate term for superstars because I think a lot of guys are just people's favorites that don't necessarily earn it, don't do the work, and don't warrant it. I think Sheamus might be the most underrated guy in WWE right now because he has quietly delivered week after week after a week, him and Drew, these matchups that are just brutal. Him and Bobby, God dang, man. That was a fight to end Monday Night Raw. Right there, you've got three legitimate, credible world champion options. Maybe something happens at Fastlane. Sheamus beats Drew. Now it's a triple threat at WrestleMania. Or, or maybe it's Sheamus versus Bobby again. After watching what they did on Raw, give them 35 minutes to do that. Sign me up, man. I'm going to be sitting there at Raymond James Stadium enjoying every disgusting thud because I'm mm. not being the one hit. Well, you know, it's, it goes back to believing.
3: And I say it every mm-hmm. single week when you and I talk. And when you watch, and I'm going to take it back here for a few weeks, when you watch Drew, Sheamus, the first time they encountered each other, then you see the second time in the no disqualification match. And now you're talking about the body match. Those are three guys that I believe could beat up anyone Everybody. walking in the street. And again, art, Yep. different strokes for different folks. But when you got guys out there that are literally abusing one another, you believe, and then you see the scars on their body. You see the welts, you see the bruises, because these guys are in there giving you every single thing they can to make you believe. And that's what starts to separate this level from this level here. And everyone's different. Everyone does great things. Sheamus is not going to hit a 450 off the top rope like AJ Styles. You come to NXT and you start looking at superstars there. But those three make you believe how strong physical presence that they are. And you know... Whoever they face, it's going to be a train wreck. It's going to be physical. It's going to be eye-watching television that you can't take your eyes off of because you just want to see the brutality
2: that's going to happen. Could not agree with you anymore, and I'll do you one better. You know why this is happening, why I truly believe, and I think a lot of people would agree with me. It is the mythology, for lack of a better term, the mystique of true heavyweights. It happens in MMA. It happens in boxing. It's happening in WWE. There is just something, when we always use the phrase larger than life. Yeah. When you see people that you don't see, you and I have stood beside Sheamus and Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre. And we can appreciate, we have a different appreciation for what gigantic human beings they are. So when you watch them and then you can appreciate the athleticism that they possess and what they bring to the table, to me, it's like this. I my, when I was living in Connecticut a few years ago, my dad came to visit and it was the day that Andy Ruiz was fighting Anthony Joshua for the one of the 11 World Heavyweight Championships in boxing. My dad didn't know who Anthony Joshua was. My dad was a boxing fan, but he's he's lapsed. And I said, this is the dude. This is the World Heavyweight Champion, Anthony Joshua. And he came out looking regal, looking like money. And then Andy Ruiz came along. But it's just the fact that it's heavyweights. You there's a curiosity that most people feel because I'll never know what it's like to be that big. I'll never know what it's like to be that tough. I'll never know what it's like to be that dangerous. There, you got three options that capture the imagination. True world heavyweight champions. I'm here for it. I hope it lasts not only through the WrestleMania
3: forever. I want to shelve something because I know that we you know, when it comes to time that I want to think about for a future talk here, Graves. Okay. Is what old new again, because when you and I were kids, Hulk Hogan, ultimate where these big larger than life superhumans that get in the ring and you know, it's not going to be picture perfect. It's not going to be poetry in motion. It's going to be a brawl. It's going to be a fight. And then there was a turn as you and I grew older to high flying and great wrestling matches and standoffs and and you think about the Mm -hmm. stalemates and everything wrestling has become over the last decade. Are we now coming back to the larger-than-life, superhuman, powerhouse, kick your ass style main event matches the undercard. When I was a kid, I always loved it. Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, Roddy Piper, Shawn Michaels, list goes on intercontinental champion, best wrestler on the card main event, Hulk Hogan, not the best wrestler, but my eyes gravitated to him because he was larger than life. Not taking away from Drew, Sheamus and Bobby, not saying that they are great wrestlers, but when it comes to the card, are we starting to see that pendulum start to swing back into that larger-than-life type main event. We can talk about it at a later date, just something for everyone to chew on until next week or the week that follows.
2: Yeah, Alex, make a note of that one. That sounds like a fun debate. I'd I'd love to have it right now, but alas, we have been talking about it since we joined you today. Finally, for the very first time ever on After the Bell, the one, the only, Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you this morning? Thank you for waking up bright and early to join ATB for the very first time.
1: Right. I am so excited to be here. Nobody's, you know, invited me to be a part of your podcast. So well, this, that, is a, this is a first for me. I feel this is exciting. I'm taking
3: credit for that one, Graves. I finally arrive and finally we get Eric Bischoff on the show. No, You're
2: we're going to have a discussion after we log off here with the production team because I've been asking for Eric <laughs> Bischoff since like the beginning of After the Bell. So this is a big get for me. Obviously, we're here celebrating Austin the 316 week. Uh, And we're going to get to some of your stories and interactions with Stone Cold as we progress. First off, I want to draw attention to what you do each and every week where everybody can find you on your podcast, 83 Weeks, alongside Conrad Thompson. I've been an avid listener since you guys launched. There are no stories that I'm going to get out of you that can be told any better than you do it yourself in that platform. Um, So I'm going to try to keep it a little fresh, try to not revisit the same history Week after week, um, you've had such an extensive impact here on the sports entertainment industry. But first, I can't get over, I know it's early. You are very open about your love for your living situation in Cody, Wyoming. Uh, I wake up every day and like to look at your Twitter because you usually post a picture. Some of the most beautiful scenery
1: I've ever seen. So again, thanks for waking up bright and early. Happy to do it, man. I'm always up early. I'm usually up by 4.30 or 5 every morning. I go to bed at 8 at night, but I'm usually up at 4.30 or 5 every morning.
2: Lots to get to lots to get to. So again, you've covered on 83 weeks. It's been covered by WWE, the Monday night wars, uh, extremely in-depth. I want to get your perspective. Obviously you are known as the guy who fired stone cold, Steve Austin. He was in WCW at the time as stunning Steve. Uh, that story has been told to death. I'm not going to put any more, any more stress on you because I'm sure (laughs) you're tired of talking about it. My question for you is this once Austin left WCW, and he went to ECW, and eventually popped up in WWE. Was there ever a point where you, as the head of WCW, went, "Damn it, I let that guy go"?
1: Not really, Corey. Because I mean, the circumstances that existed—the reason I let Steve go—I mean, it was what it was, and there was no pulling that. There was no putting that bullet back in the gun, so to speak. It, it happened. It—it it, it was the past, and there's nothing I could do to undo it truth be known we had so much other great stuff going on at the time you know wcw was in and nitro in particular was in such a state of growth and just excitement and energy that it didn't cause me to to look back and you know question decisions i had made maybe i should have but i, I didn't well, with
3: that growth, Eric, that you were talking about with WSW uh, Nitro, was there any anyone from the outside looking in, or, or people that were talking to you, that, "Oh man, can, can we go get him? Can we go talk to him?" Was there any pressure from anyone to say, "Oh, can we just call him on the phone, see if he's interested in coming back?" Anything to that aspect?
1: Not really, you know. And I, I and I know from the outside looking in, you know, fans or even people in the industry would think that that would have been the case, but it really, really wasn't. Um, it's hard to explain because i think that period of time we're talking about really 95 96 97 everything was happening so fast in and in, in a good way mm-hmm. right that it, it, i i always you know i describe describe it to people as like being on a treadmill And you're just in that groove, you know, you're at the right pace, your breathing is great, everything is perfect, you're feeling better than you've ever felt, the endorphins are kicking in, everything's perfect, you've reached a state of mental nirvana, and if you take time to step off that treadmill, you crash. And I think that's kind of where we were at, so there were, you know, there were always conversations at one level or another, not generally with me, but, you know, backstage with the guys who, who, you know, had been around for a long time in a locker room, there was always that, Hey, what if we could do this? Or what if we could do that? But it was, there was never a sense of urgency to it. And again, the the fact is people were coming to us. We didn't have to go out and try to recruit, you know, talent from other organizations. They were coming to us. So we kind of had the pick of the crop, so to speak.
2: So as the Monday night wars wear down and uh, WCW is, is in a state of closure or beginning to sort of unravel, obviously your, your bid to to save the company fell through WWE absorbs buys WCW and it would lead to what is widely considered one of the biggest storyline botches in the history of the business, that being the invasion. That is every fan that sat on Monday nights, myself included and Vic watching going, man, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? What was going through Eric Bischoff's mind watching remnants of your baby be used in WWE and ultimately Stone Cold becoming the face of that?
1: It was weird. You know, there was there's like two parts of me during that period of time. You know, there was one part of me that was like, How dare you? That's mine. How can you? Oh my god, this is horrible. And then there was the other part of me that wanted to see it become successful because well it was mine and right, i wanted right. to succeed <laughs> maybe succeeding somewhere else and and without me but nonetheless the the ideation the the idea of of nwo the fact that it could live on in in wwe was you know exciting to me so in my own head it was like a death match you know for a couple of weeks going into monday night raw because it was i was conflicted as they like to say <laughs> but you know it is like i said it is what it is and it was a botch, wasn't it? Oh, my God.
2: Oh, man, I'm telling you. I mean, for for a little kid, I think I was 13 years old, 14 years old at the time watching this. And, I mean, this was literally the greatest thing that could have happened when it all started. And the WCW guys and ECW guys were in the ring and they all turned. And it was like, oh, my God, it's happening. It's happening. My life is never going to be the same. And then within a few weeks, even me, who would consume anything that was fed to me from WWE or WCW, is going, this kind of just doesn't feel right in your opinion eric is there anything that you you would have done differently i know you don't love to fantasy book but looking
1: in hindsight is there something you think could have saved that angle and Corey, i you know i've spent a couple minutes in in wwe as a talent and i think i was there long enough for my coffee to get lukewarm as an executive but while i was there in all those years and as close as i am to certain people in wwe including bruce pritchard people know that you know he and i are, are very close friends I've never really asked the question, but I'm pretty certain that at some point right before that angle launched, well, I know I got a phone call. I got a phone call from Jim Ross. It was in July, I believe, or June. And Jim called me and you have to understand the context of this. Jim and I were, we're very close now. We're great friends. Now we have a blast together and all that. But back then, you know, when the, the WWE version of the NWO angle was unfolding, I got a call. And I think the timing is right here. You'll have to ask somebody, you know, on your side of the equation. But I got a call from Jim Ross, which really surprised me because of the tension in the relationship. And Jim was, you know, head of talent relations. So you know, Jim called me and he, he was very uh he was very professional, but very distant, and basically offered me an opportunity to come in and join. WWE is a part of a storyline. Now I'm never one to go, well, you know, I'm only interested if you tell me what the story is for the most part, I'm not that way, you know, especially with WWE people that I know. Um, But Jim, you know, he, he offered me an opportunity to come in and the timing wasn't right for me. It just didn't feel right. Jim wasn't being as forthcoming as I was hoping would be to at least to get me excited about it. Sure. So I passed on it. And I'm pretty certain it was shortly thereafter that we found out that Vince McMahon was behind the whole WWE NWO story. So I think to answer your question with that little bit of background, had I decided to take that opportunity and jump at that opportunity, I think it may have been revealed that I was bringing NWO with me into WWE. And if I'm right about that, I think that could have helped a lot because I just don't think anybody bought into the story of Vince McMahon bringing in the NWO to ruin his whole company.
3: When, when you talk about the NWO, what are your thoughts on WWE keeping it at a much smaller, close-knit group rather than as it was in WCW when it was starting to grow weekly and monthly? WWE went back to almost the original formula. What were your thoughts on that, how they made it different? Did well, that was right obviously with a good you, I choice. Yeah, I, I mean,
1: okay. you're looking at, you know, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hall Hogan. Come on. You know, you mm-hmm. can't really, you know, if, if you want... Equity in your characters, you can't get more equity than those three characters as NWO. So, I, you know, I thought that was brilliant. You know, the, the, the expansion, the exponential growth of the NWO and WCW was really two things. It was, holy cow, this is really working. Let's keep going. Part of it. The other part of it and the larger part of it was really the intent originally to grow the NWO large enough so it had its own roster so it could have its own show unfortunately about halfway across the river um the horse broke the leg and we went down and now we're stuck with a whole bunch of nw guys with nowhere to go so it, from the outside looking in it was kind of a cluster but it is what it is
2: well you, you told the story of, of jim ross's attempt to bring you the first time to wwe what was going through your mind and walk me through your decision to finally walk through the doors of wwe
1: Well, the first time, you know, Jim called me, like I said, it was really timing. It's not that I didn't Mm want to get back in the business or I didn't want to work for WWE. It was nothing like that. It was just, and I hate to say this because it makes it sound like, you know, my personal life is far more important than my professional life. But in some cases it is when it comes to my family. Um, It was right around the 4th of July. And historically, my wife's birthday is on the 4th of July. The 4th of July is the 4th of July. My father passed away on the 4th of July, just a year previous. And we've been having family reunions and get togethers with family and friends for the last 20, or 25 years out here. Uh, it's a big deal to my family. And Jim called me right before the 4th of July. I literally had friends coming in from all over the country, some of them driving in from all over the place, you know, to be here. And it was just like, man, I can't just up and leave. Uh, it's just bad timing. And that's really all it was. As far as actually coming to WWE a year later, it, that was perfect timing. You know, it, it, my desire to join WWE was no greater or nor less. And mm-hmm. either of those instances, it was just timing
2: so shortly after bursting through the doors of wwe which again i remember being in a hotel room i forget where when we, it was, i was wrestling somewhere i was on the independence somewhere and i remember being in a hotel room and turning on monday night raw and seeing eric bischoff walk onto my screen as the new the new gm of raw and once again my mind blew that uh, was something that wasn't supposed to happen but within a relatively short period of time you once again find yourself interacting with the aforementioned stone cold steve austin now Is it silly to ask? Was there any sort of animosity? What was that relationship like at the time when you first joined?
1: You know, I didn't meet Steve until I had been in WWE for a little while. Mm -hmm. And I had really started to develop some pretty good relationships in WWE. and, And I started feeling, you know, I felt, I'll tell you what, the first night I came to WWE, I instantly felt comfortable, which I didn't expect. And... By the time, you know, the opportunity, and I think it was Bruce Pritchard who came to me, and Bruce was a little tentative, you know. He said, hey, uh, Eric, uh, can I talk to you for just a minute? I said, sure, Bruce, whatever. What do you want to talk about? He has got um, got this idea. I'm not sure how you're going to feel about it. He was kind of, you know, he going a long way around the block just to get to the question. And I kind of nurtured him along a little bit. I said, Bruce, whatever it is, you know, lay it out, talk it through. He said, I don't, how would you feel about working with Steve Austin? And my jaw hit the floor. I was like, are you kidding me? That would be just Perfect. <laughs> we had a built-in backstory. We didn't have to do a thing. You could have just announced the match, and it would have been a draw, just because of the history. And that was in in the relatively early days of the internet. So uh, that wasn't like now, where
2: everybody and their mother has a website and Twitter, and all these you know backstage stories just get leaked ad nauseum. This was something that if you had, if you knew a wrestling news website, you could go to, and oh my god, Eric Bischoff and Stone Cold hate each other. As far as anybody knew, watching, you guys were mortal enemies just from a fan's perspective.
1: <laughs> it was so perfect. It was like th- nothing could have been more perfectly set up than than Austin Bischoff. And, I'm, you know, I'm not a wrestler. You know, my in-ring performances are hideous. But the character, Eric Bischoff, at the time still had a fair amount of heat because of the, the history and the perception, as you're pointing out, Corey, so accurately, the perception of the audience in terms of what Bischoff felt about Austin and vice versa, it was, you didn't even have to do anything. It was already there. And then to be able to build upon that in such a fun way, but the creative for, you know, the story and the buildup to it was so much fun. I had still one of my highlights. You know, people ask me, you know, what are your favorite moments in wrestling? And, you know, th- There's the things that happen, you know, in the business to business side of wrestling that I'm really excited about. But in terms of on camera moments, having the opportunity to work with Steve Austin is definitely, you know, a top three moment.
3: That's great to hear, Cora. It's funny because last week we talked about believing. And when you get Eric Bischoff and Steve Austin face to face, we believed as wrestling fans like, oh, man, these guys want to rip each other's heads off. No one was on Twitter or Instagram going, oh, Eric Bischoff, Steve Austin are set to go on a six week Rivalry, it, like we believe, like oh, I can't wait to see this. I have to tune in, and and that's what makes our jobs fun—is making people believe.
1: It it, it is, and again working with Steve. And I'm going to go back to the very beginning of the story. You know, the first time I had met Steve. Keep in mind, I I don't remember what year it was when I, infamously, uh, <laughs> fired him via FedEx. It might have been '94, early '95, whatever year it was. Um, I hadn't seen Steve until the middle of the storyline. If you guys remember, I was, you know, running all over Texas, looking for Stone Cold Steve Austin, because Mr. McMahon, you know, charged me with the responsibility of getting him to you know join the roster again, something to that effect. So I'm on a mad hunt, you know, mad Easter egg hunt for, for the giant Steve Austin egg <laughs> in the middle of, you know, the most remote places in Texas you could find or not find again, if you had to, it was so much fun. But one of those locations that we were shooting in, uh, it, imagine this, it was a bar that, it was a Sorry. bar. It was a bar in <laughs> Texas. No. Brilliant creative.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Pritchard and I and, and the crew were already there. And Steve came along after we'd been setting up for about an hour or so. And this was the first time, you know, Steve and I, laid eyes on each other since he worked for me back in WCW before I fired him. And, you know, he pulled me over to the side and we had a great conversation and it took about, oh, I don't know, 45 seconds for us to feel like we'd been friends for 20 years. Nothing bad ever happened. No hard feelings. Everything's good. Let's go make some money together. I mean, it happened that fast. Our ability to kind of put all of that behind us, you know, be mature adults and professionals and have fun doing it. That whole transition was about 45 seconds.
2: But but the magic that what was created out of that after you squashed it within 45 seconds. Meanwhile, we we as fans were just getting started. We were just getting warmed up at the possibilities of, oh my God, Stone Cold might actually kill Eric Bischoff on Monday Night Raw. This is a real possibility. Have you ever drawn the the correlation? Uh, This is just kind of coming to me now as as you're telling this story. You are the guy who fired stunning Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin comes to be in WWE and really creates the attitude era and makes it what it is, his rivalry with his boss, Vince McMahon. It was Vince and Stone Cold on screen. Do you ever wonder if anything was drawn from Steve's vitriol and feeling from being fired by WCW?
1: You know, only Steve can can speak to that. I, I can tell you from watching it, and this is going to probably not sit well with a lot of people on on your side of this camera. <laughs> but I looked at the whole Steve Austin, Vince McMahon's story as a derivative. That's what they say in television. You don't rip anything off in television. You, you come up with a derivative. Okay. I mean, you take all the things that you see that are working and that are good, and then you modify it. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm joking about that, but everybody does that, and some of the best creators and producers are the ones that are best at doing that. Recognizing the elements of a story and the psychology of a story that really, really work, whether it's in a book in a movie. It doesn't matter where the inspiration comes from or the idea comes from. But if you can take elements of ideas that you know are working and then mold them and modify them into something that will work for you, that's a sign of a great creator, writer, producer, whatever you want to call it. And when I looked at that, I went, okay, they took what we're doing, which was NWO, Eric Bischoff, the boss, and WCW talent, you know, rebelling against him. And, and it was me with the NWO behind me, because I didn't have the muscle to do it myself, clearly. Sure. But me with the NWO behind me was able to run roughshod on WCW. I was the evil boss. Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, was the evil boss to Stone Cold's, you know, protagonist character. So there was so many similarities in it that I recognized them immediately. But I also recognized that, damn, they're doing it better than I did. <laughs> that's, that's what pissed me off they did it better than I did uh it, it's
2: crazy to think about I, I never for some reason put those two put two and two together and hearing you just say "Yeah, it was an evil boss it just seems so different the presentation of all of it you know at that age to me was you didn't realize they were the same essential story they were so wildly different
1: well and I think there's a, a lot of reasons for that one is you know so much of this is timing You know, you you can come up with the greatest story, the greatest idea in the world. And if the timing isn't right for that idea, yeah, it may or may not register. Um, And and I think the timing was right. And if you look at the transition and I I tend to look at things a little differently, I try I try really hard to be subjective, Corey, um, knowing that I'm really not deep down inside because I'm a human (laughs) being, just like everybody else. I have my own way of looking at things. Right. But. You know, a couple of things I think happened. One is Mr. McMahon, the character, was such a dramatic about face from the Vince McMahon announcer that we had known for so long. Vince McMahon was the announcer. Nobody really acknowledged, for the most part, that he was the guy that actually ran the company. He was sure. the announcer. Once that shifted, and it was a pretty important shift and now Vince McMahon is the owner of the company he has to be in order to be the antagonist to Steve Austin's character that was a radical departure that was a brand new character and now to see that side of Mr. McMahon a side that we had never seen in how long you know previously we've been watching Mr. McMahon or Vince McMahon as the announcer on television 20 years whatever it was and now all of a sudden he's a badass boss whoa this is interesting Oh, and let's throw in this cat by the name of Mike Tyson. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of a big damn deal, too. So you had you had this, you know, moment where Mr. McMahon, Vince McMahon transitions into Mr. McMahon. Whoa, holy smokes, what's going on? And now you throw Mike Tyson on top of it in a time when Mike Tyson was in terms of controversy and And I keep using the term brand equity, but in terms of a character that, you know, everybody around the world knew Mike Tyson was right up there and the timing was perfect and the performance was perfect. Steve Austin found himself and he found Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I did Steve's podcast a couple of years ago. I can barely remember it because we did like three hours, two, twice in a row, you know, we two days in a row. And there was a massive amount of adult beverages being consumed. <laughs> I was going Jack Daniels tends to flow. <laughs> so I know I was there and I know I did it because everyone once in a while will send me a clip of the show. So, oh yeah, I did do that. But Steve and I talked. a a, a lot about that and why that angle worked as well as it did and why Steve Austin found that character stone cold, Steve Austin, Steve Austin left W or ECW. And he came to WWE as the ringmaster.
2: Right. Uh, Right. People, people seem to to gloss over that because there was a a strange transition period. Right. When he
1: was just, I don't know where that came from. (laughs) That one sucked. No offense to anybody that's listening, to it. But But Steve Austin, because he's Steve Austin, he found his character, and he knew it, and he ran with it. And I think the timing of Steve Austin finally knowing who Stone Cold Steve Austin really was and what that character was about, and then, you know, Vince McMahon realizing that in order to take things to the next level, he had to become Mr. McMahon and have a more reality-based storyline. And, oh, by the way, let's run Mike Tyson. That's when I talk about timing. You know, Steve Austin finding Stone Cold Steve Austin, perfect timing. Vince McMahon deciding to make another move with his character to Mr. McMahon, perfect timing. Oh, and like I said, Mike Tyson, everything was absolutely perfectly set up for that storyline, and it was executed so brilliantly by everybody involved. I forgot
3: about Mike Tyson. So you brought it up. I mean, that was just the perfect storm and even the right time too, all around WrestleMania and, and the eyes are going to be on everybody. And I, I never thought of it that way. Graves uh, of that whole thing coming together that way, going back to your original question. Well, yeah, I, I
2: didn't until just hearing, hearing Eric explain his perspective. Yeah. And, and, and then the thing that stands out to me, Eric, is what you said, brand equity. Is that the the phrase that you used? Would that be in that just Vince was on screen as Vince for so long and people had known and invested in him and then he became Mr. McMahon. So it threw everything, you know, upside down. Is that kind of what you're referring to?
1: Yeah, it it completely turned everything upside down. And I think there was an intentional shift in the creative business model of WWE around that time. And you guys, you know, if you look back, I know you guys do. It's part of what you do for a living. But you know, you look back at WWE pre ninety six, Monday Night Raw pre ninety six. It was really a show that was targeted towards teens and preteens for the most part. Um, you skewed a little bit older, of course. Uh, it was family viewing, of course. But the I think. From my perspective, at least, the characters in the stories were really geared more towards teens and preteens. And understandably, because that's where the money was. That's where advertisers were. That's where licensing and merchandising was. That's where toy deals are. That's where a lot of, there's a lot of reasons to gear your, your, your business model towards that. Nitro was doing something different. It was going after 18 to 49-year-old men. And I think at some point, and I think it was in late 1996 or 7, whenever it was, I think there was a, a moment when WWE decided, okay, we're going to change direction. We're going to go with the more edgy 18 to 49-year-old approach to our creative business model because it was working so well with Nitro. And I, I don't, I don't want, to, especially on your guys' show, for crying out loud! No,
2: trust me, I, I live for this. This is I, when I'm yeah, in a car is, by myself. That's that's been the, the number one thing about this this pandemic and not traveling like we used to is not having the hours in the car to be caught up on all the podcasts. Because because <laughs> yours was appointment listening each and every week. I promise it still is. I got about six to catch up on. So
1: <laughs> oh, the last one's no a the last one's
2: a doozy, Corey. You're gonna okay. <laughs> i get on it. I'll get on it for sure. <laughs> for sure. So we're talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin and what are some of your other memories now, now that you've crossed over, you're in WWE, you and Steve, it's all water under the bridge. Now you can really enjoy it. You've been on the record as saying how much you enjoyed just being a talent for that first period in your life. What are some of your favorite memories of working alongside Steve or anybody else?
1: Well, obviously the things that, you know, people saw on television or on pay-per-view were a, a ton of fun. I mean, as a performer, and you know this, Corey, when you have an, an opportunity to go out and engage with the audience, a live audience, which I know everybody is missing so badly right now. And hopefully that's going to change soon. But when you go out, there's no, there's no feeling like that to, to go out there and, and have the ability to create emotion just like some people create widgets in a factory, you know, talent and WWE have the opportunity to go out on stage and create emotion. It's a tangible thing. You can, you can feel it. Well, it's not really tangible. You can't pick it up, put it in your pocket, but you can feel it. You can sense it. It changes the way you feel Mm -hmm. in, in a given moment at any level. Now for someone like me to be able to go out there and perform, With someone, not only did Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, have amazing equity as a character, but what an amazing performer. I mean, you could ad lib anything with Steve. That was the other thing. You know what I love? When I think back about all the times I've really enjoyed performing, a small handful of names, you know, come to mind almost immediately. And Steve Austin's right at the very top. Because I love to improv. I love to have a general idea of what we need or want out of a a moment, a segment, a scene, whatever you want to call it. Um, I like to have a really good idea and an understanding of what that is. But I love the ability or the freedom to improv my way into it. And that only works. If you're working with someone who has equal or greater skill than you do. Absolutely. Otherwise, it sucks. (laughs) Like Hoover vacuum industrial suckage.
3: Yeah, it happens a lot on this when I try to improv off Corey. It just doesn't work very well. And he looks at me and goes, Vic, you're an absolute moron. And then he has to move on. So, yeah, we both understand where you're coming from.
1: (laughs) And, And Steve, to his credit, I don't think there's anybody that I've worked with, at least, better. At improving and knowing where knowing what the end has to be. We all know what the end has to be. We all know the emotion we need to create and the anticipation we need to create. That becomes obvious, but the journey, in my case, the fun is gosh, I wonder how we're going to get here. Especially sure. when it's live. And sometimes with Steve, you didn't really even have to talk much prior. You, you, you kind of go bullet point, outline how do we want this thing to end up. I got an idea. Okay, we'll see you out there. Oh, what a rush. That is so much fun. Do
2: you hey, have a favorite moment or anything that you can re- that you recall of something that stands out to that point?
1: You know, I think the uh, the redneck triathlon and all the crazy stuff we did there. I think that was about as a perfect example as you could get. I think there was a there was a segment where Steve had me up in an owner's box at an arena somewhere. It was in a Monday night raw or pay-per-view, I don't remember which it was and we're in a beer drinking contest, and I had to vomit all over the people sitting down, down below <laughs> me. Come on. Who goes into the business thinking, you know, one day you're going to get an opportunity to vomit all over people? See <laughs> yeah, you Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Never mind
2: the guy who almost put WWE out of business.
1: Now being in that position. Talk about just a role reversal there, man. That's absolutely wild. That was fun. We had a lot of fun. But when, when I think about you know, because I, I do now, I think more about things like this now that I'm clearly looking at wrestling in my rearview mirror. It's no longer going to be something I do for a living. I've, I've come to terms with that a while ago, actually. But um, and now I kind of just think about, gosh, what were the most fun moments for me? And the really the moments that mean the most to me are not the biggest moments necessarily that people saw on television. They were fun. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But you know, Just being able to sit down with Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin, after the show, he'll be sitting at the end of the hotel bar, and I'd come up, sit down next to him, and we would just sit there and shoot the breeze and talk about hunting and fishing and just about everything not related to sports entertainment or our, especially our history. I mean, after the 45 seconds we spent in a little bar in the middle of nowhere, Texas, we never talked about it after that. Well, I mm-hmm. guess we did once we were on this podcast, but that was different. <laughs> <laughs> but th- those moments to be able to have that much drama, and history and yeah. perceived animosity, and then just be able to, you know, go, all right, that was business. This is business. <laughs> And we're both kind of, we like to hang out. We like to do the same things and enjoy each other's company. To me, that was, those are the moments that I look back the most fondly of.
3: Eric, well, you know, I, when we got to walk around SmackDown when you were there and and, and Graves got to know you a little bit more than I did. And I see in catering, there's one thing I always wanted to ask you about. And it's kind of maybe put a bow on it for me with Steve Austin. What does it mean to you? after everything you guys went through, that you were part of some of his final matches. You you had his last match on Raw. Obviously, he had the match against The Rock at WrestleMania 19. But you were part of those final three, four, five matches of his career. Looking back now, what does that mean to you, the person?
1: I feel two different ways about it. Obviously, I'm very proud of it because, you know, although I'm not a wrestler, I should, and I, I don't, I've never, you know, looked at myself in the same category of of, a Bret Hart or a Ric Flair or a Stone Cold Steve Austin or John Cena. It's a different deal, right? Um, But as a performer, selfishly, I'm very proud of that. And I'm grateful, but probably more grateful than proud. Because, again, that was just timing. And I, you know, I got to do that. Um, But I also feel bad for Steve. You know, I I think if if and I don't know, Steve and I haven't talked about this, but I'm guessing if Steve had an opportunity to kind of rewind the clock and have one more run at it, he would have liked to finish off his career a little differently than maybe, you know, a gimmick match with Eric Bischoff. So um, I feel great about it as a selfishly as a performer, but I also because I I truly, you know, love and respect Steve professionally and, and as a human being, I kind of feel bad for him. There's there's the headline tomorrow, Eric. Yeah, there it
2: is.
3: Bad
0: for
2: Stone Cold. (laughs) Uh, So, Eric, you mentioned how these days you sort of look at the sports entertainment business in your rearview mirror, or you're at least trying to get there. But obviously, you're still you're still active. You still have your hands in in several different projects. Um, What keeps you going? What keeps Eric Bischoff involved and engaged this many years later?
1: Uh, you know, passion. I, I still as, as many times you know throughout this roller coaster, you know, career of mine, I've tried to kind of like, okay, enough, enough. You've had enough. You've made a lot of money. You've had a lot of success. You've done this, you've done that, move on. And I do, and and I do so successfully in many cases. But then it's kind of like, oh, I get sucked back in. And <laughs> I my wife asked me actually, <laughs> Mrs. B, <Beast>, what? <laughs> why do you keep doing this to yourself and the truth is i love i love the industry i love storytelling i love the characters there is something unique about sports entertainment and the relationship that you have as a performer with that audience that is so special it is it it's a fix it's a rush that you can't get anywhere else it's impossible I've tried. <laughs> Doesn't work, <laughs> and that's probably it, you know. But now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more realistic and and find ways to you know put my toe in the water every once in a while without having to take a bath. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wonderful Now, I'm steal that
3: one.
2: Well, I'm sure Graves, you'll find out a way to get that in on SmackDown this Friday. I absolutely will. And I'll give Eric credit because, you know, the best ideas in this business are just stolen and recycled over and over again.
1: No, <laughs> no, they're derivatives. <laughs> That's derivatives. Right, they're derivatives. Derivatives. I stay corrected. Okay.
3: <laughs> derivatives. How do you spell that, Graves? Google it. Well, you know, I, I do want to say something, Eric, to you from me personally. I don't think I would be where I'm at today if it was not for You, WSW, and the NWO, taking a kid from Cleveland, Ohio, and making him believe in the industry of professional wrestling and really lighting a passion for me to want to live out my own dream from WrestleMania to Raw to NXT. So from me to you, thank you very much for everything that you have now provided me in my life because of what you did uh, weekly for me and the rest of of the world uh, with WSW and then in the WWE.
1: Wow, Vic, that's... And and there's a moment right there. Those are the things that really make me grateful for the career that I've had and the opportunities that I've been able to uh, be a part of, because it's amazing. And it's another thing. I don't want to go off on this too far, but people need to realize, because I'm just now realizing it, and I feel guilty about that, actually. But, you know, over the last few years, I've been doing, you know, personal appearances, and with 83 Weeks, we do live shows and things like that. We often do the meet and greets afterwards. And to hear the stories of people and and how sports entertainment has changed their lives or how Monday Night Raw or Nitro or whatever um, was that moment that, you know, a father and a son or a father and a daughter or a mother and a son could bond and brothers and uncles and aunts. And it was, you know, it it's important. And what we do, what you guys do, what everybody that steps foot in the ring in front of the camera and behind the camera What we do really does affect people and can affect people for the rest of their lives in a very positive way. So you saying that means more to me than you can know.
0: And
2: I want to echo all of Vic's sentiments, and I want to just tell a little personal story to me that is still surreal as I sit back and, and think about it. It was shortly after you rejoined WWE for a brief period uh, last year or two years ago, which I also thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, to me, it was far too brief. I, I loved our plane rides, just talking about the business and different ideas. There was a moment for me when we were flying out of White Plains, New York, and I was on a private jet with Mr. McMahon shane mcmahon paul Heyman, and eric bischoff and i was sitting with our good friend mansuri in the back and i all of a sudden went what the hell is my life all of these <laughs> figures who influenced my childhood and, and encouraged me to follow these dreams uh here i am with all of them and it, it was just totally surreal but yeah i want to echo all of vic's sentiments but because uh this was originally my show i get to do you one better because, Eric, uh, after all these years and contributions you have made to the sports entertainment industry, it is our honor and privilege to inform you, Eric, that you will be joining the 2021 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. Congratulations.
3: Congratulations, Eric.
1: Wow. <laughs> Thank you. <I> don't... <laughs> Thank you. I don't know quite what to say. Wow, this
2: is awesome. It, it's a much deserved honor. I, I'd say it's it's well overdue. Uh, we'll give you a minute to process it.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, it'll take more than a few minutes, guys. Uh, just wow. That's all I got. man for a guy that can never shut the hell up on my own podcast, I don't have anything to say. I'm just speechless. Wow, this is going to take a minute.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, take your time, Eric. Uh, It's this is awesome. This was a thrill when we found out we were going to get to break the news to you. Uh, We were just both as excited as as two two kids who grew up loving this and now spend our time in front of the microphone. Hopefully, one of these days, at least me or Vic will uh, get to spend some time in a boardroom. (laughs) (laughs) Can I give you a little hint? Please don't Don't
1: (laughs) wish for that. (laughs)
2: There it is, the biggest life lesson.
3: There it is.
1: Just <laughs> stay where we're at, what Graves. what you wish for.
2: <laughs> just
3: stay where we're at. We're doing just fine. We don't need any of that extra heartache or pressure.
1: No, guys, I've, I've, this is just, and I'm not going to lie to you because every year around this time, of course, I get, you know, emails and social media hits and all, you know, asking. And I've always been pretty good at just, ah. Keeping it out of my mind. I don't think about it. I never have to any real degree, but you look at some of the names associated, many of the names, all of the names associated with the WWE hall of fame. And, and I'm going to personalize this one for me. The thing that occurs to me right now is like, when I first started working in sports entertainment for Vern Gagne back in 1987, knew nothing. I was a big wrestling fan. I had no experience. It was just like this wild eyed opportunity for me. I put Vern up on a pedestal and to think that if somebody would have come up to me and said, you know, in 2021, you and Vern Gagne are going to be in the WWE hall of fame. My head would have exploded. It it would have been incomprehensible. It would have been the same thing as somebody coming up to me and saying, you know, someday you're going to swim laps up on Mars. You know, I was like, what? (laughs) This doesn't make no sense, but it's, the the names that are part of the WWE Hall of Fame and just to be associated with those names or, wow, it's just overwhelming. So I, I, I just, I can't say thank you enough cool ways for people to know how much I mean it, but I really, really do mean it.
2: We're happy for you, man. It's an honor. Like I said, very, very well-deserved. It's exciting for us. It's an honor for us. And uh, we will see you at the Hall of Fame. Wow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you know what the best part is? The Hall of Fame has always been my favorite part of WrestleMania weekend. And it's, it's not that I've not enjoyed the matches, and the spect- I mean, because there's nothing like WrestleMania. It's, you know, it's the Super Bowl for out. Sure. But there's something special about the Hall of Fame and the emotion that gets created at the Hall of Fame because of what it is and because it's so real to everybody involved. It's really, really special. So to be able to be a part of that and not just be in the audience as I have been in the past. uh, Wow. Can't wait to see you guys.
2: We will see you soon enough. All right, Eric, we will let you go. It is bright and early. You've got a lot of beautiful landscape to enjoy out there in Wyoming. And now you have something to look forward to as a member of the 2021 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. I love it. Thank you for hanging out with us this morning, Eric. I genuinely appreciate it. Uh, you you tell me. Next time you want to come on here and pontificate for a little while, we'll have a chat. Hell, we don't even need a camera. I'll just find wherever you are. Maybe I'll come out to Wyoming and drink some beers. There you go, Corey. <laughs> you have fun out
1: here. I can teach you how to rodeo. Oh, my
2: God. If there's one thing in life that I should probably know, it's how to rodeo. <laughs> that sounds good, man. Eric, thank you so much. We will see you at the Hall of Fame, and uh, happy WrestleMania.
1: Thank you, guys, very, very much. Vic, take care, man. Thank
3: you very much, Eric. Bye, Corey. Again, uh, Graves, that was so cool to be able to uh, have that small little moment with Eric Bischoff. And, of course, the upcoming WWE Hall of Fame, Tuesday, April the 6th, exclusively on Peacock in the United States, on the WWE Network, everywhere else. It's pretty cool, man, to sit back and think, wow, we just delivered that news to someone who shaped a
2: generation of wrestling fans. You're absolutely right. That can't be lost on us. Like, I'm sure once (laughs) I step back and go, holy cow. Holy cow. We just told Eric freaking Bischoff that he's going into the WWE Hall of Fame. Like <laughs> Vic and Corey, 13-year-old kids right now, i am got a 37. My mind's still blown a little bit. So thanks to Eric Bischoff for joining us here on ATB. Congratulations on becoming a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. And make sure you check out 83 Weeks, wherever you get your podcasts. Trust us. I'm only saying that because I believe it. I've learned a ton about this business from Eric Bischoff and uh, that's one of the avenues that has has lent itself to my learning. Vic, I know you had a question of the week, but because Damn. I'm the host, I decided to flex it and want to know sure if it is. WrestleMania 17 or WrestleMania 19, use the hashtag after the bell, follow at after the bell on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Follow me at WWE graves. Vic is at Vic Joseph WWE. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please hit the subscribe button, throw us five stars. If you're using an Android ATB is on Spotify. Pandora iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Keep up with all your favorite shows in the WWE Podcast Network at WWE Podcasts. We'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol. Pause. Hey, uh, it's 316 week. It's broken skull IPA, just for you know the sake of what we're doing. Give me a hell yeah, Vic. Hell yeah, Vic. And more vitriol. (laughs) With more WWE after the bell. Cheers to you, Gravy. Happy 316. Cheers to me.
0: If you've never been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival. You don't know what you're missing. There's so much to see and do. It's like a 16th century theme park with shops and pubs, food and games, live jousting. Crafts and music, 10 stages with non-stop entertainment. Fun for the whole family. Saturdays, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th. Near Annapolis, the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Time travel to fun.